This is 94.9 CHRW, your cure for corporate radio. And you're listening to the Jim Chapman News Hour, your cure for corporate news. And we're back. Thanks for staying with us. I'm uh, delighted today to uh, to welcome Bob Metz, uh, as we've done for almost a decade now, I think. Pretty close. Closing in on it. Never like this. Yeah, no, this is something new. Well, it's, it's good to do. New, new is Who's good. Who's the ref around here? Keeps us from know. getting bored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're having left and right today, but no center. So uh, we'll see how this goes. And I, But I thought that this was a, an opportunity for me to do something that I've been interested in doing for years, and I don't know that we've ever really talked about this, and that is that uh, you and I have been debating political issues, as I say, for the better part of a decade, but I don't know mm-hmm. that I've ever really sat down to find out um, a bit of a bit about you and a bit about sort of how you've come to the to the views that you have and uh, and what your influences were and so on. And I wonder if I could maybe start, Bob, by asking you've been quote right on our show for years as I've been quote left. Mm-hmm. And we know it's a lot more complicated than that. That uh, those are broad labels that we put on things, but there's all kinds of nuance in our views on on whatever the issue is. And and can you can you give me kind of a broad strokes of sort of you know how would you sum up your political philosophy? Well, basically, it's I, na- I named the party I founded based on that philosophy, the Freedom Party. And uh, the party began uh, quite, uh, not by my intention, but by a series of circumstances I found myself in, involved with uh, some notorious people around town and some not-so-notorious people who got me involved in politics at a time when I was really apolitical. Um, back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, uh, I was a senior corporate accountant for a large trust company in town here called Canada Permanent Trust, which is, wasn't that permanent even after its 150-year <laughs> history. It's now part of Canada Trust after a long series of acquisitions and things like that. But nevertheless, um, and this was a period of 22% interest rates under Pierre Trudeau, whom I was a big fan of, so I wasn't right all really? my life. And... Um, then I started investigating, like, what was the cause behind this, the things that were happening in my workplace. And you know, I was dealing in finances and savings, and uh, I was just the accountant, but I got to see every every branch and every department, which was a very unique position. And uh, no matter what the answer was, it always turned out to be something to do with government. And so I started looking into government. And uh, next thing I know, I'm... Uh, uh, suddenly getting involved with government thanks to uh, a notorious local character mark emery yeah who uh, basically talked me into running for a political party i'd never heard of before <laughs> called the libertarian party <laughs> on a friday night <laughs> and uh, had me registered monday morning and uh, i honest to goodness i did not know the difference between left right center up or down at that time and uh, nor did i know what a libertarian was at the time and uh, but i i was always a little bit uncomfortable with that libertarian label in any specific sense in the broad sense yeah here here and there but i i that's why i never really joined the quote libertarian party right and because there was a fundamental difference there and it mostly has to do with uh, if you get right down the philosophy moral relativism versus the fact of of what we believe is more of a moral. there are black and whites in in the world and of a more more of a moral absolutism with regard to some issues yeah so uh can can you tell me a bit then? Mark Emery, of course, was a was a very prominent uh, feature in London for years and years until mm-hmm. he until he went to the big stage. Well, he went to Singapore for a while, I believe. Well, he he left the country for a while, went over and over to Southeast Asia, came back and became notorious as the Prince of Pot, which, by the way, was not an issue he was involved with uh, back in the Freedom Party days. Um, you know, just getting peripherally interested in the issue, but more from a freedom of speech point of view at that time. 
And uh, so I guess after he went over to Asia and came back, he embarked on this other career. But Mark and I, uh, uh, you know, we always had this certain common respect for individual freedom. Again, there was always a difference between the two of us. Uh, and I always found Mark a little bit more anarchistic than myself. And so uh, those fundamental differences were always in place, but we were like the Lennon and McCartney of the new political movements <laughs> at the time. And, uh, As opposed to the Lennon well. and, uh, and uh, Stalin. Yeah, for the, you know, for the first, um, I would say for the first 15, 20 years, and I said this on CFPL-TV, which I believe the video is going to be available on our, one of our websites soon. Um, by the way, if anybody wants to find out about anything about Freedom Party, you can go to www.freedomparty.org know, or ca. Uh, or .ca, depending on which of the parties you get. The .org one is not a political party as such. It's the uh, philosophic, more umbrella under which some of the political parties operate. Well, now, and... and uh I have to say about you that you're somebody who really walks the walk in addition to talking the talk, that it sounds like your life changed quite a bit from the days in the corporate world to what you're doing now. Oh, it did. Um, in fact, uh, um, I quite consciously took the, the decision to, to do what I was doing now. As I said, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I went on record saying that it probably be 20 years before anybody ever even heard of Freedom Party. I understood the realities. I saw the Libertarian Party. I saw the other small parties. And I realized the weight of inertia of the giant parties, because I worked in a corporation, I know what the mechanisms are like. I yeah. can see the, the the slowness of it. The determine, you know, it's a big thing that you're dealing with, and to 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 get people to switch an idea overnight. Um, at first, I believe such a thing was possible. I don't anymore. Um, it's a different process than I thought at the time, but because I knew we were sort of quote unelectable, especially starting as a new political entity, we we put a lot of our time into lobbying on issues and uh, Freedom Party was the only party that lobbied in favor of Sunday shopping and we put ads and papers around the province and sure enough, a few months later, despite the opposition of all three parties in the legislature, we had Sunday shopping. We uh, we were well known on tax issues. Mark Emery and uh, myself and a few other people got in on these things called BIAs. Um, which were propping up around the pro province, uh, sort of a fourth level of tax for certain municipal areas and different areas. There's hundreds of them. And Is that a business improvement area or something? Yes, that was the, uh, in fact, because of our campaign, they've changed the name of it, uh, even though legislatively they're supposed to refer to them as BIAs, but now they call them Downtown Business Association, right. yeah. which they are not, by the way. London has one. It's not an association. It's a taxpayer-funded uh, government-created entity, you know? So... Um, but anyways, we we discovered you could beat the, the tax man, and you could beat city city hall every now and then. And uh, in my own personal life, I wasn't only involved with uh, the Freedom Party. I was one of the founding members, along with Jim Montag, of the London Middlesex Taxpayers Coalition, of the Ontario Taxpayers Coalition, with the J late uh, George Lansons, who uh, passed on, but was really got quite a rep going on that. Um, we were involved with uh, Hold All London Taxes. I was on the directory of that, too, which had the largest single protest in the city of London. I think people have forgotten about that. There were over 5,000 people in in uh, Red Square, Red, Red Square, Square. Yeah, yeah. Um, protesting taxes. went with City Hall in there that, that one night. It was an, an, an unprecedented event in the city of London, and how quickly we forget. But uh, it had its impact, and uh, I know I've had, uh, through so many smaller issues, which are pretty methodically um, uh, documented online on, on the websites I cited earlier. 
had tremendous effect in the lobbying sense of actually getting results. And that was what I wanted to take to the voter before I went to ask them for a vote. I said, look, i got a track record. We know what we're doing. We understand the issues. And uh, we, we've shown that we've had an effect, so now maybe... Pretty soon, it'll be time to give us a chance to kick it a can. And this is, and just be clear, this this is your occupation, your full time. Uh, uh, more or less, yes. I uh, I almost consider myself retired or self employed <laughs> in some ways. Uh, this is not a career to get into if you want to make a fortune. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, you almost have to take a, a vow of poverty in certain ways. I'm fortunate that I'm in a good position now, uh, partially by choice, partially not by choice, in that uh, after being married for more than a quarter of a century, I'm single now, which gives me more freedom in a funny way that I never had before, <laughs> uh, not in a political sense. But, it's um, not one of your party platforms. Yeah. That- and um, personally, I'm, I'm glad I have no personal debts or anything that I have to deal with. So I can live at a very low level of income and, 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 and do very well. Freedom Party itself has been doing better every year since we started in 84. So I kept looking at that, and I'm thinking, well, each year we're doing better than the year before. Well, and so, again, you've, you know, they talk about the best job is the one you create for yourself. And uh, uh, I've heard it said, you know, if you can take your hobby and make it into your job, that's the best type of thing. Oh, absolutely. In some and, respects, and, you've done that. But, but again, as you say, there are sacrifices doing that well i think idealism if you like i I know what you mean it's you know i I don't like to use the word sacrifice there it's uh, it's it's uh, sort of a price i've paid and um it's 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 a price i was willing to pay i trade it up well we're going to take a break for a minute and pay some bills here and we'll be right back with uh, bob metz and we're back at the Jim Chapman News Hour with your host today, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. We are left and right with no center today, and uh, I said at the at the start, it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I said in some respects, it, it, it's kind of like the United States politics, where theoretically there's a left and right. Although in s- other people, I think would argue the Democrats and Republicans are more alike than dislike, uh, sort of squished in the middle. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, that's a view I share. I share the view that uh, not only in the states are the Democrats and Republicans alike, but in Canada, the Liberals, Conservatives, and the New New Democrats are basically all alike. Um, All of them think that it's up to them to run the health care system, to run the education system, and to deny certain fundamental freedoms and choices to individuals who should be able to have options within those spheres themselves. Um, they all believe in higher taxes and rationing, whereas our approach is lower taxes, a better life, and no rationing, because uh, there wouldn't be any lineups to be worried about, which is the case where you have that. Um, all the other parties see um, welfare and, quote, helping the poor, end quote, as their major function. We see it as a peripheral function. Um, and uh, under the guise of what the other parties call helping the poor, what they're really promoting is not helping the poor, quite the opposite. They're promoting universality, which is helping everybody. So now, it's uh, not like only the poor get help in health care. Everybody gets it. It's not like only the poor right. get help in education. Everybody gets it for, quote, free, which, of course, isn't free and is costing us a pretty penny right now. So is there a, a, a kind of a statement of philosophy or a way that you could kind of uh, generally kind of set out what's different about the Freedom Party, where they come well, from? Well, in, in Freedom Party, you pay for what you get and you get what you pay for. In the other parties, you pay for what you don't get and you don't get what you pay for. And I know that might sound trite in a way, but it's absolutely true. It's it's what's happening. Uh, He who pays a piper calls a tune. If you expect the government to give you what you want, um, that's just not going to happen. If you you want to get what you want, you're the guy that's got to pay it somewhere down the line. Um, 
it, the issue of helping people who can't help themselves is, is a much broader one than, than, than the little issues that politicians like to, to you know cut the pie up in. For example, they'll talk about farmers' interests, workers' interests, uh, re- homeowners' interests, renters' interests. Well, you might be any one or any number of those things at one given time. And so what they do is they almost pitch yourself against yourself. They're going to rob one of your pockets to put money in the other one. And that's really where most government growth has occurred lately is in what they call a transfer of wealth. Um, even now, I believe the federal government's just putting out a report about wanting to equalize the provinces more and equalize the country. Well, that's, to, to us, in Freedom Party, that's an immoral concept. You don't equalize people just because some people have taken the actions and been in a circumstance to, to be more prosperous than others. I mean, um, the fact that I chose, for example, my style of living doesn't obligate you to bring, to bring me up to whatever income you have. So, like, uh, would it be uh, an element of that then, for instance, that you're saying you kind of let the market decide where, where where things go? Like, for instance, I always wonder if there wasn't equalization payments, what would Newfoundland do? Uh, what would what would your party do with Newfoundland? It's interesting because there was an, uh, a, a really good um, documentary, I think it was on CBC, that, that, that drew a comparison between uh, Newfoundland that went for federation with, with the country and became a, a welfare recipient in Iceland, which went the other way. And it's night and day. And you've got two very, at the when they both started, they both started off in relatively the same economic and climate conditions, everything. Right. And today, I guess, Newfoundland's the economic basket case. Iceland's doing great. And um, I think that's the problem with dependency, is that dependency works fine if, you've, if everyone else in the country has the ability to support the dependent, but when they become dependents themselves, and everyone, you know, you, all you're doing is spreading the poverty around. You're not spreading the wealth. You cannot spread wealth. Wealth has to be created, and that's the problem with all of the major parties today. They see the world as a fixed pie. There's only so much money to go around. There's only so many services, and that it's their job to cut up that pie and decide who gets what piece, and that's totally contrary to reality. In reality, the world is an infinite pie. And the way that everybody gets more is to bake bigger and bigger pies and more and more pies. And that's what works. That's why the poorest person in a country that's very productive is better off than a poor person who's in a country that's unproductive, like a communist, backward socialist country. And we always, you know, you can always relate socialism and communism to poorer economic conditions. And uh, why we embrace these philosophies after looking at the hard evidence of how disastrous they are is not an economic thing, it's a moral thing. So can I ask you a bit, if, if you don't mind, uh, not prying too far, what would you say are some of your influences in, in switching from being a Trudeau fan to uh, to coming to this this philosophy that would be very, kind of the opposite of a, a Trudeau vision, I would think? Um, when I was a Trudeau fan and a liberal, I, I was still in that situation where I didn't know what politics was about. I had a sense of things. I had a sense of this. I mean, you couldn't argue if the nation had no business in the bedrooms, or the government had no business in the bedrooms of the nation. Yeah. However, what I didn't realize at the time when Trudeau said that was that he was moving the government into every other room in the house, <laughs> right? So that we can't afford our, you know, everything from our electricity right on down to our health care and education. But I didn't realize what Trudeau was about at the time. I had no concept what he was about. And the thing that really opened my eyes was... Uh, 
um, having jumped into the fire and agreed uh, when Mark Emery asked me to run politically, the next thing I know, the media is calling me up for an opinion that I did not have. <laughs> and so I said, Mark, what am I going to do? And he hands me this book, and it's by this person I never heard of before called Ayn Rand. And she had a book called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. I only read three chapters out of it, which were related to federal issues at the time, mostly dealing with monopolies and energy crises and things like that, which were really big issues in the 70s. And um, I formulated some ideas. It all made eminent sense to me. Formulated some ideas about them, gave a speech at a businessman's luncheon during my first election campaign, got standing ovations everywhere I went. And um, people would always tell me that I was great in this, but I'd never get invited back. And I always wondered why. <laughs> and that was because I understood later that what I was saying ran in direct conflict with a lot of the interests that were putting these events on, for example. You know, liberals, conservatives, and new Democrats don't want to hear what we have to say. This is still. My biggest and Freedom Party's biggest problem uh, today is getting on the stage. Once we're on the stage, we know we're going to soar. We've had evidence of this in the recent three by-elections, for example. Um, TVO kept us off. Uh, Rogers locally put us on, and Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever, who's our current party leader now, and you should check this guy's out, this guy out too, he's something else, um, but he ran in Ajax Whitby there, and uh, when they did a poll on Rogers late, later, he was coming up with like 40, 48% of the popular vote on, an, on another poll, and so we know that that effect is there. I remember... Um, Back in the 19... Uh, it's another reason I, I stayed in this business, because I understand the dynamics of it, and people are always upset that, well, you don't get many votes, right? Well, it doesn't work that way. When you, when you break that, it, it's going to seem like overnight. Uh, for example, back in, our, I think it was our second election in the 80s, um, a fellow named Alan Weeble, who, who locally uh, was uh, both a Freedom Party supporter and had one foot in the PC camp. And there was a by-election going then, and apparently the, the, uh, the, the Progressive Conservative Party at the time ran a poll in that riding to ask people who their second choice would be if they had a second choice. And he told us that Freedom Party came up number one for all three parties, whether they were NDP, <laughs> liberal, or conservative <laughs> supporters. And that told me something, that if a party, like you hear a lot of talk about PR and pr pr proportional representations and thing like that, things like that right now, which our party doesn't specifically support but would benefit greatly from. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of tension that's out there. And I think what happens is once, uh, if there's a party in place at a time when the government or when the, sorry, when the voters are finally sick enough of that government that's sitting in there, then that party punches through. And, you know, one of these mornings I want to see the look on, on the leader of Freedom Party's face just as surprised as the look on Bob Ray's face tonight that the NDP won that uh, majority government, right? right? Well, then I guess uh, I sort of wonder as you're talking about uh, the fact that it seems like most of the major parties that we talk about in North America, at least, uh, are vying for the center. They're, they're trying to push each other out of the middle because they perceive that that's where you get elected from. And in some respects, it sounds like your message, your party's message, is, is more of a, a tough love in the sense that uh, we hear from the mainstream parties that essentially they will give you something for nothing. Uh, you know, that uh, they're going to give you, each party is going to give you lower taxes, they're going to give you more services. Uh, not a problem. We're smarter than the other guys, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, so, in a in a democracy where, first of all, you've got uh, only half of us voting, uh, and uh, a lot of us not paying too close attention, we see. Well, this party says they've got a smarter way to give us something for nothing. They're going to lower our taxes and give us more services. Why wouldn't we vote for them? How do you how do you compete with that? You don't, and you don't even pretend to. Getting elected is not the same 
as like getting elected and democracy are two different things. Voting, for, for example, is different from democracy. It's a different process. Most people who vote know either nothing or less than nothing about politics. And I don't mean that to be insulting. I mean it quite literally. It was either Mark Twain or somebody like him that said, uh, it's not what people don't know that makes them ignorant. It's what they do know that just ain't so. <laughs> and boy, if that was true in one field, it would be politics. People have just one myth after another that they believe about politics. And that was what was shattered for me when I actually got up in front of an audience the first time and went through the process once. And I'm thinking, don't these people know what's really going on here? You know, don't they know this is just a, you know, this is not what they think it is, isn't what it is. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the big uh, epiphanies for me, too, was that the realization that what government is, and this is the problem with most people in politics, they don't understand the nature of the government they're dealing with. I think of a little kid who you give a shotgun to, and he, you know, two-year-old, and he's shooting up the house with a shotgun, right? And he doesn't know it's not a toy, right? He, he's just shooting. you got to stay out of his way. That's how I think a lot of people are in politics of the other parties with government. They don't realize government is a gun. You don't go around doing charity with a gun. You don't go around doing good works with a gun. That's there for self-defense, and that's why we created governments. And That's why Freedom Party thinks the government is basically that instrument of self-defense, the courts, the police, your, your, your military, and, a, and, and the system of justice that goes with those things. Well, and I guess the other aspect, when you talk about uh, uh, people not knowing what, what government is or what politics are all about, by that, do you mean the, 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 the machine behind the scenes to some extent, or are you talking about the system No, I mean, generally? if you ask the average person what's the policy of the Liberal Party, they couldn't tell you. In right. fact, the average Liberal couldn't tell you, because they have no policies most of the time. People vote on a gut feeling. They don't vote. So platforms mean absolutely nothing, not to getting voted. You have to have one. That's for the intellectuals, a few handful in the media who are sort of the second-handers who filter the, the, the information. But um, the actual thing of getting elected is more of creating a comfort zone for the, uh, for the public and making them understand that, A, you're not there to, to do anything to them, <laughs> but hopefully doing something for them, and that uh, they have nothing to fear in supporting whatever they think your party represents. Everybody thinks about the party they, they hold dear in different ways. It's almost like religion. Well, and that's interesting you mentioned that, because for years we'd heard about Stephen Harper, for instance, that people didn't, ha didn't have a comfort level with him. And I look at a, at a Ralph Klein or a George Bush where uh, they seem to be personable people. People mm -hmm. see them as somebody who, who they could be friends with, and uh, it almost seems like they, they forgive them a lot because they see them as, well, this is my friend, he's fallible, he gets drunk, you know, or he, he's not the best at syntax, but he seems like a good guy, he's a good guy to hang out with. Uh, is that what people are voting for? Um, very much so, although it doesn't, it, d it doesn't necessarily make determine what they vote for. I mean, you and I get along fine, and yet we have differences of, of opinion on a number of issues. And i got to tell mm -hmm. you, even within Freedom Party, we have differences of opinions on a n number of issues. What you end up doing is deciding how far, um, when you join an association or group, whichever one it is, that shares your point of view the most. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily 
a specific policy per se. It could just be uh, a feeling of a, of, a, of a general philosophy behind things. Um, I think the thing that attracts most people to the liberals is the fact that the liberals spend a lot of money and they think that they benefit from that spending somehow. Um, the fact is every dollar the government spends on you, they've got to take four or five away, right? So it, doesn't, it, it never balances out. And uh, despite all the things government have done, governments have done over the years in the name of poverty and eliminating, I remember they wanted to get rid of child poverty by the year 2000. Right. Well, it's always worse because the, the methods they use become the end. It's not like you have this end, we're only going to use this method until we get reach our goal. The goal is never reached. Good. Well, our, our music is uh, playing, so I think our end is in sight. Wow. And okay. uh, I'll leave it on <laughs> the goal is never reached. I'll leave it with that, Bob. <laughs> Thanks very much for this today. I really appreciate you. you uh, opening up well, on some of the background on this stuff. Carry on the chapter two. Next. It is true. We do get along. You can always get along and discuss these things. I'm, I'm glad you're involved in the political process. It makes it a more fun place to be. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for joining us today for the show. I, I appreciate you, you sticking around for me and the things that are today. Jim will be back with you tomorrow, and uh, I'll leave it with you. Have a great day, in London, and uh, thanks again.